0: the biggest uh, change I've seen is how we we have lost the social aspect of it, not 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 entirely. There are still a good nucleus of curlers who'll enjoy the game and enjoy a pint and a drama after it, and 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 uh, a, sorry, a good blether after it. Unfortunately, that's that's not the that's not the the norm. Uh, many are now arriving for their game, jumping in their cars and going home, and that's a shame because um, that th- that was one of such an important part of the game.
1: That was Mike Ferguson, chairman of the Scottish Ice Rinks Association. He joins us today to talk the current state of curling in Scotland, their return to play initiatives coming back from COVID-19, and the upcoming British Players Curling Championship. That's all next on Rocks Across the Pond. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. Coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, my name is Ryan Mee and joining me from parts unknown is our Professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft, who is not in Southampton, England. He's somewhere in the woods, in Quebec, hiding from humanity. Jonathan, absolutely nothing has happened since the last time that you and I talked, I don't think.
2: In what? The For world? Even-
1: for for either, for, for either of us. <laughs> for me.
2: For either of us. For you, nothing, it's been a just, lot that's changed. Nothing, uh,
1: nothing, 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 has happened.
2: In the world, a lot's happened. I don't, I can't even remember anymore what's happened. It's happening so fast. <laughs> How do you feel? I'm in, I'm in Canada. That's news.
1: Yeah. Hiding from the law.
2: Uh, I'm not hiding from the law. I had to download an app at the border called the arrive can app and every morning it pings. And I've got to say, do you have COVID symptoms? And I say, no. And, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happens if I step outside the house with my phone, like they send a drone and shoot me, but probably, um, probably. So I just stay here in terror. I haven't seen another, I've seen one human being, a family friend who's dropped off coffee. That was very nice of her. And, uh, that's about it. In ten days,
1: sweet. So you got you have what four more days of quarantine?
2: Four more days of quarantine. I've got. I, I. I am nowhere near the woods. I am actually in Montreal West, which is the the neighborhood I grew up in. Except now there's a giant grow up down legal grow up down the street.
1: Yep. So you're in Canada for a family um, thing. Uh, are you going to do any curling while while you're in Canada?
2: I packed my shoes and my curling trousers, as we call them in England. Because so you call them curling pants, that means underwear. So you don't want to call them curling pants, Ryan.
1: So I saw that Jerry from Curling Zone is trying to get people to sign up for the two Stu Sales events, which are both going to be run in Kitchener-Waterloo, pretty close to each other here in October. Um, I assume you're going to participate?
2: Uh, no. Why not? I don't have a team.
1: I think you. I think you and Scott and Sean from Game of Stones need to find a fourth and then enter those two events.
2: Uh, will you pay our entry fee? Will you sponsor us?
1: How How much are we talking here?
2: Uh, it's probably five hundred bucks, maybe a bit more. I don't know.
1: Is that in? Is that Canadian? Canadian. No, oh, so it's like twelve dollars US. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're good.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, I I don't know. If Scott and Sean want to do it. Um, that that involves a lot of logistics that I'm not interested in sorting out right now. <laughs> like I, I would need a broom. That's the first problem. And uh, yeah, I'm share, sure. I'm you sure. You can't share brooms anymore. I would need a I would need a curling friendly mask because my masks I think they're fine for like shopping but I don't they, they're kind of pretty fabricy. they'd get pretty moist pretty fast I don't even know if I brought my stopwatch you can't go curling in a spiel without your stopwatch Ryan you know
1: these are all excuses <laughs>
2: <laughs> probably probably fear because I'm like I haven't thrown a stone since March
1: neither has anyone else
2: I think that I think, my understanding is these like spiels. It's like the good curlers are using them because they need some competition, and they've probably been throwing a lot of stones. And you're just donating money for like Brett Lang to destroy you and like two ends.
1: But you got a points chase, Jonathan, because like at the end of it, after England cancels all of their championships, they're gonna yeah. go off of order of merit. And if you participate, they got know they got
2: to go off of they got to go off Ken Palm ratings. 'Cause I do very well on those, as we found out in that episode. So I'm gonna try to lobby the English curling association to only use Ken Palm rankings.
1: So you gotta go points chase, man. You gotta go play in those two KW spiels.
2: Uh alright. Well if we get some sponsors, should I got a, a GoFundMe page? Can you get like a GoFundMe page, but like for a curling team?
1: I'm sure that's happened before.
2: Like uh who will curl with me? I guess Tinder for curling.
1: <laughs> we can develop that app. Um, so you, I was uh, busy with life events as well, but you managed to do an interview for us, which we, which we have here today. Um, so let me get this straight: we got a pretty good Scottish guest, and then you had to interview them from Canada.
2: Uh, yeah. but it worked out all right (laughs) that's good yeah
1: so who have we got jonathan tell people who this is
2: so uh i saw on social media that there's a new competition called the british curling players championship uh and it looks pretty interesting um we talked a little bit uh i can't even remember when back in may uh about the controversy in Scottish curling that partly due to the lockout, uh, sorry, partly due to the lockdown and COVID partly due to other concerns that, um, Scottish curling and British curling had decided for the next season to simply select, um, the national teams to play at the world championship rather than using the Scottish Mm -hmm. curling championship as the, the means of choosing the teams. And, uh, this event, I think, was not entirely a response to this, but it was kind of, I, I would say, perhaps prompted or accelerated by it. And so there's a new event that's clearly designed for, as we talk about in the interview, kind of, I guess, competitive club curlers or um, people who aren't being funded by British curling. So I, I use the term amateur. Uh, and Mike Mike was a bit, uh, I think he didn't like that term, so he's talking more competitive club curler, a competitive curler who's not mm-hmm. being funded. I use amateur simply because they're not being paid to curl right whereas uh the 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 kind of you know team gb the scottish curlers the the team on team scotland they're all kind of salaried full-time so i think that actually is an important distinction and probably why there's a a widening chasm in the sport if you will so this event's kind of a new event and i think it kind of touches on a lot of the things that we've been talking about a lot in this podcast about how to kind of grow that middle class what's happening to the kind of competitive club, whatever you want to call it, like Club Plus, the Tweeners, whatever you want to call them, that that tier. And so this is a, an event they're going to try in Scottish Curling to um, to try to address that gap. So uh, I guess let's give it a listen and then we can talk after the interview. I'm joined by Mike Ferguson today from, um, he's the owner of the Forfer Ice Rink and he's also the chairman of the Scottish Ice Rinks Association, and we wanted to talk about a couple of things today. First of all, how rinks in Scotland are kind of responding to reopening in light of the COVID pandemic. And then secondly, he's organizing a new competition in Scotland called the British Players Curling Championship, and we wanted to to talk to him about that. So welcome to the show, Mike.
0: Okay, thanks very much. Yes, uh, glad to be here.
2: Yeah, and thank you. Thank you for joining us. So first of all, we always have to start off by asking our guests how they got into curling. So so how did you get into curling and how long have you been uh, playing the sport?
0: Uh, getting into curling was certainly more by accident than anything else. Uh, I, I played uh, numerous sports before getting into curling, including football or soccer in, in, in your language and uh, other sports. And then uh, I married my wife, Sandra. And at that time, her father was a publican and uh, uh, as happens in Scotland, he was short of a player one evening. And to keep father-in-law happy, I was pushed into the car and taken to the ice rink and had to start throwing stones. And within uh, within within minutes or hours, I was totally, utterly hooked. I uh, loved the game. And uh, just 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 took on there. and we're probably looking back at around 1988, 89 period. I started, I think. Unfortunately, I didn't get any junior training or anything at that that time. I was I was well into my career, um. So therefore, on the ice and and learn as you go kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So you've been playing for 30 years now, and the other. Thing that's I think quite interesting about you is, in addition to being a curler, you also own an ice rink. And I think for a lot of our guests in North America, that might be a bit surprising. But certainly in Scotland, my understanding is most of the rinks are either kind of uh, privately owned or owned by a, a, a council, if you will. So, how did you? How long have you owned you own the Forfar Ice Rink? And so, how long have you owned that rink? And can you tell us a little bit about the facility?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I purchased the rink uh, in 2009 from a local businessman who had the vision to to take uh, uh, four potato sheds and turn them into various sporting activities. Uh, Brian Bonneman was a cuddler himself, and then he offered me the the opportunity to purchase it, which I did uh, uh, at the time, uh, running other businesses, uh, particularly a financial services business. Uh, So I felt it'd be ideal opportunity to to develop the place and uh, move forward. uh, And hopefully, uh, when I eventually retire from the other businesses, would be a nice leisure industry for retirement. Uh, Things have progressed from there fairly dramatically since I purchased it and and we've certainly developed the the facility uh, to the point that it is uh, quite a substantial business now taking up a fair bit of time. Um, with, within the facility, we have uh, uh, three halls. We have a four-sheet a four curling hall with, with a, a, a nice lounge bar with catering facilities, etc. Uh, next door, we have a three-sheet curling hall, which uh, curls Monday through to Thursday, uh, daytime and evening. And then come Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it converts to an ice skating hall. So we have to uh, very quickly on a Sunday night and a Monday morning get our skating ice back to curling ice, which is a challenge for my ice team, but but they love it. Um, And in the third hall, we have an indoor bowling hall, which is like grass bowls, but indoor bowls. Um, uh, And we have six lanes there or six rinks there. And it's particularly popular as well. And next door to the sports, we have a kids' soft play centre. So that's pretty good because it brings an income, or it normally would if it wasn't for COVID, uh, it brings an income during the summer and allows us to to retain staff uh, at a time when the, the, uh, the ice rink's not operating during the summer months.
2: So you mentioned COVID. So, so how has COVID affected the facility? Are you back open yet? Have you been able to resume curling? And and what adjustments have you had to make to to bring the facility back online?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think probably I'll, I'll I'll keep juggling hats through this this interview. But I think probably with the Scottish Ice Rink Association chairman's hat on, we've been very very active in 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 uh, discussions and working groups, etc. Um, I can recall vividly um, into the second week in March and we still had two weeks of curling to go. Uh, we we had to make quite a a quick decision as to whether we shut the door and, and stopped uh, uh, playing or whether we ca- carried on for the two weeks. Because as you know, there are many finals and everything was building to a really nice crescendo. Uh, as a business owner, the, your, your final month of curling is often your best month. So it was quite a tough decision, but but we felt for the, for the safety of our curlers, for the safety of our staff, etc. We were actually the first ice rink in Scotland to declare that we were closing, and uh, others continued maybe for a week or ten days after us. But uh, we, we we closed the door, and as it happened to be, it, it pro- proved the right decision. Straight away thereafter, as chairman of the Scottish Ice Rinks Association, I made contact with our English counterparts. The ice Rink Managers Association in England, and said, "Let's work together." Uh, given that you know we have the same problems, so let's work together. And indeed, they were well ahead the, ahead of the game, uh, uh, comparable to ourselves, because their ice rinks are very large ice rinks, very often owned by by big corporate groups, uh, and therefore they they started down the road before us. And given that many of them remained open in the summer months. Uh, They they were frantically uh, uh, getting their their ducks in in, in a row to ensure that they could open as soon as they could. So that was a blessing. We were able to work hard with them, uh, create our risk assessments, uh, start speaking to up here in Scotland. uh, We have a governing body, Scottish Curling. And indeed, we also started discussions with Sports Scotland. And I have to say thanks to both these bodies for being uh, very, very uh, easy to work with. So all the way through um, April, May, June, July into August, we've been working working on all of, all of our risk assessments. I think one of the biggest concerns more recently has been the flow of fresh air and ventilation into premises. And that's been quite a challenge for both modern and uh, uh, less modern ice rinks. To the point that we're now going down the route of pressure testing our halls and um, uh, do, doing quite a lot of other uh, um, quite a lot, a lot of other changes, which I can go into if you wish to. Um, and, and that's been the biggest hot potato. Other than that, it's all the usual stuff of, of making sure we're doing our social distancing, making sure the premises are absolutely spotless, buying demisting machines, buying everything else. Uh, and just making sure we're ready, and sorry, in a long-winded way to answer your question, no, we're not open yet. Uh, we've pushed our season off by, by two weeks, so we're opening on the 15th of October for curling. Uh, however, that said, uh, a number of ice rinks in Scotland have decided that they're not going to open till January. They're only going to play the second half of the season, depending on how things have, have gone. Others have started to set down ice now. We have a couple of ice rinks have started setting down their ice so they can start probably in two, three weeks' time. Uh, So there's a variety around the country. As you said, there's a mixture in Scotland. There's about three or four ice rinks that are privately owned. Uh, There are a good number of ice rinks run by charitable trusts, which is really the members running the ice rinks. And then there's a good number of local authority-run ice rinks. And probably the local authority-run ice rinks are, are, uh, are facing as many challenges, whilst they might have a bit more resources behind them, they have to, they're, they're operating under a very, very strict COVID rules, where many of the employees are still on furlough, uh, and that will be, be, be creating a, a few problems, I would suspect.
2: So the, the, what, the couple of things you mentioned uh, in there that I want to go back to. So the airflow issue I hadn't really heard much about before. So what is it about curling or ice rinks in general and airflow that's an issue when it comes to, to COVID safety?
0: Okay, I would firstly to say it's probably not just relevant to ice rings. What we found in all our working groups, etc., is that anything indoors is becoming an issue with COVID, and therefore whether you're an office, whether you're a bingo hall, uh, whether whether uh, you're you're a leisure facility, uh, the, the 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 flow of air, or flow of fresh air, should I say, is is a consideration. And many organisations or governing bodies are coming out with specifics. As and, and one of the main measurements is the litres, uh, the the the, the litres of fresh air flow that you have. And they're setting parameters such as for curling, they might be setting a parameter of 10 litres uh, per second. Uh, for other halls, it might be 20 litres, and for others, it might be eight or eight or six. So they're setting different parameters. Thankfully, with our discussions with Sport Scotland, we've been able, been able to get it to a more realistic level. But as I say, how many ice rinks actually know what the air flow is and where what, what, what the pressure testing arrives at will be few and far between, I would suspect, around the whole of the world, not just, uh, not just Scotland. So therefore, it's, it's in quite a new challenge. If I took my own ice rink, sorry, I'll juggle hats again and I'll come back to an ice rink owner. We've installed new ducting to to bring additional airflow in. That will create its own problems because you don't want air blowing over your ice because you're now trying to maintain very, very good quality championship standard ice. And uh, your humidifiers would be having to run uh, constantly, which will then put up your running costs dramatically, easily by 10, 15, 20, even more percent in the season. So you've got to be very careful what you do and, and take take um, strong opinion and, and good opinion. And we've certainly been doing that. And then in your health and in your risk assessments, you're also looking at other areas to, to assist with the airflow from as simple as opening doors in between uh, sessions. We call them here, I think you call them draws, but in between your draws, uh, just even opening the door for three, five minutes to to give a flow of air in. Uh, Then you have to start looking at the the flow of air out and I won't go into all the detail on that and we'll start, we'll be here all night, yeah.
2: So my other question then is just in terms of gameplay, are there special rules you're putting in place? I know in North America, there's like three people per team and masks. Are those similar rules going on in Scotland?
0: Yeah, the rules in Scotland are quite clear, but thankfully, again, and credit to all parties involved, uh, Sports Scotland, Scottish Curling and, and, uh, indeed, the Scottish Scottish High Strings Association, we we discussed it out and we arrived at uh, a a position, as it stands just now, it may change because our numbers are unfortunately starting to rise in Scotland again and we're starting to see a few local lockdowns which, uh, which give us all great concern. Uh, I should say uh, at this at this point that we're fortunate uh, in England. Uh, the ice rinks were given the go ahead to to recommence business. They started setting down the ice, uh, and on they were supposed to open at twelve noon on the first of August, a Saturday. And on the 31st of July, Boris Johnston, the Prime Minister, stood up and said ice rinks were were not allowed to open. So within less than 24 hours, they had all the ice ready to go. And we're told they couldn't open. So a massive dilemma for, for ice rinks saying, well, you know, we can't melt it because we can't rebuild it. And they had to sit open maintaining ice for a, a period of just over a fortnight, I think, before they eventually got to go ahead to go ahead. So we, were, we learned from that and we were determined uh, or are determined to try and make sure that doesn't happen up here. Uh, but, but to answer your question directly, we we, have, we are allowed a maximum of eight people per rink. Uh, Many of the other sports are square meterage per person. Uh, We debated that we didn't feel that was appropriate to curling, given the size of our halls uh, and our ability to spread uh, individuals around the rinks uh, with social distancing, etc. So we we, we came to an agreement that we allowed our eight maximum per rink, which is just ideal, meaning that we can play rinks. Uh, on, on the downside, we we can only have uh, uh, one person sweeping, as I'm sure is fairly standard around the world now. Uh, one person sweeping, so the the other person will just stand aside. Um, but but uh, and masks are not mandatory. Uh, they are they are advisory, but as per the World Health Organization guidelines. Uh, um, if you're playing or competing in a sport they're not mandatory so uh, again I'll switch hats and go back to Forfer and with regard to my ice rink uh, um, uh, we we will be uh, encouraging our cuddlers to wear a mask but we certainly will not be making it mandatory it'll be down to each individual and if somebody's particularly uncomfortable coming to play and people are playing without a mask well unfortunately they'll have their own decisions to make Hmm.
2: So the main reason we wanted to, to talk to you today was about a new event that's uh that I saw being promoted on Facebook. So it's called the British Players Curling Championship and the the advertisements for uh, I guess March 2021. So you're the chairman of this event as well. So can you tell us a little bit about this event?
0: Yeah, surely. Um, A a few experienced cuddlers have come together. Yes, I've been asked to chair it, but there's a good number of very experienced cuddlers come together with Scottish champions, etc., involved in the ranks. And we just felt that in recent times uh, there wasn't perhaps enough encouragement for uh, competitive and developing cuddlers to get involved in competition. Uh, I think since the emergence of funded players, Um, whilst that has undoubtedly uh, assisted the sport, it's also created its own problems at the same time. And uh, we're we're probably, if I took it to brass tacks, uh, our good quality club curlers uh, or or, or amateur curlers around the rinks are finding it difficult to, to find competitions to move on up to. Uh, I, I'm sure we'll make reference to the Scottish finals in, in, in a few minutes, but uh, at this particular juncture, we just felt there was a need for a competition like this, and uh, it appears to be that we are correct, given the publicity we've received and the the acknowledgements from from the the teams around Scotland that uh, they're very likely to support the event.
2: So, so you you anticipated my next question. So, this is kind of as an outside observer. Uh, we talked a little bit on our show. Uh, when would this have been? I guess back in May, over the the decision of Scottish curling to move to a selection process for next year's World Championships as opposed to the kind of historical way of doing it of of uh, having the winners of the Scottish Championship go to the World. So was this this new event at all related to that? It seemed like the announcement came. Maybe not right away, but a little while afterwards, the announcement of this new event came along. Is that is that the connection then?
0: I wouldn't say it's connected as such or related as such. It is to a degree, given that uh, there's no hiding the fact that uh, there, there, there was quite an objection against the, the 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 way things were handled with regard to the Scottish, and there was there is also a strong feeling among strings in Scotland that. Uh, uh, if you don't have the opportunity to move on to the Worlds if you win the, the Scottish Championship, well then, what's the point in competing? So you know, that, that was certainly uh, a catalyst, but it wasn't the the the, the full driver. Uh, I think that perhaps the driver was that we've been Talking for a number of years of having a plan B or a plan C or or whatever, and and I don't think there was any, anything to hold back the uh, the the ultimate movement towards the professional curling and going towards the Olympics, etc. However, um, th- there there was ob- an obvious need for something to fill the void. Therefore, uh, therefore, once decisions had been made and votes had been carried, it was an appropriate time to to bring this forward and and just put it out to the curlers and just say, well, come on, guys, come on, ladies. You know, is this something you want? If so, let's support it and uh, let, let's make it happen.
2: Yeah. So you, you said you kind of were looking for a need in the market. Um, and so I, I, I guess this is one of the other things that intrigued me about the announcement, because because one of the things we've talked a lot of in the past on our podcast about is that the middle class of curling, if you will, is squeezed. Like like if you go back in Canada, say a generation, um, you'd have hundreds of teams enter the national playdowns for the Briar and the Scotties. And today at the provincial level, it's, it's just down to a handful. And my understanding yeah. mm-hmm. is there's a similar thing going on in Scotland where people who are, say, very good at the club level, perhaps they want to play in a bond spiel. Uh, You know, but they also have a day job, so they can't commit to the training that professionals do, um, are still looking for something. So is this the, the target market you're looking for in Scotland then?
0: Uh yes, it is very much so. Uh, I think the wording that uh, we've used in in our promotion is uh, to create a prestigious event for competitive and developing curlers. So so we are not particularly trying to target one one uh, uh, uh one band of curler. We we do want to be as inclusive as we can. Albeit we're not we're certainly not promoting it towards uh, funded players or such like. It will be for our competitive based a uh, uh, uh club, or we don't really have an amateur status over here. I'm not quite sure if you do, but we don't. So our competitive, competitive style curdlers for an amateur style competition, but, but to be in, as inclusive as we can. So it will include males, it will include female, it will include juniors, it will include seniors. Uh, and and one other key aspect um is it's not all about competition. It's to bring the social side of curling back into the game. We felt, and I'm sure as many others have, that the social aspect of curling is very, very important. It's part of the tradition of the game. And therefore, we want to make sure that we're bringing that back into the game. And, And it's very competitive on the ice, but it's fun off it.
2: So you say social aspects, so will you have special events attached to it as well, like a banquet or a dance yes. or any other kind of social activities?
0: Yes, we're, we're holding it at a uh, uh, Edinburgh, uh, Murrayfield Ice Curling Centre down in Edinburgh. So we're in, we're in the capital and we have, a, we have uh, depending on COVID, obviously, uh, we, we, we have uh, tremendous facilities down there, uh, top, top class ice team down in Curl Edinburgh. So, uh, yeah, we'll certainly be, be attached catching on uh, social events uh, throughout throughout the competition and uh, uh, hopefully attract uh, quality players who want to come along and also enjoy their weekend.
2: Will it be segregated by gender? So will it be a men's event and women's event or will it be kind of any combination of gender?
0: It's at the moment, and we at the moment we do have the right to, to, to uh, uh, amend things as, as we require. However, at this stage, uh, the, the original plan is will be the men and women's teams will compete against each other, as will juniors, as will seniors. So everyone is just competing against each other in sections. Uh, one thing we haven't uh, um, uh, we aren't. Uh, expecting at the moment is mixed drinks we're not looking to 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 incorporate mixed drinks in it Uh, so we will have uh, but we will have ladies gents as i say juniors senior ladies senior men's um uh, all competing against each other
2: and then the other thing i saw in the announcement was that it mentioned that the winners would advance to a european players curling championship so is that correct or (laughs)
0: That is correct. It's early days for that. We've been in discussions with a few of our our European uh, colleagues and uh, European curlers. And uh, the the broad bones of the, the EPCC have been put together. And we're currently just now negotiating with a number of countries. Um, with a view to getting the EPCC off the ground in the uh, 21-22 season. Uh, the aim is that we'll have eight countries uh, coming forward over to Scotland initially, um, and uh, hopefully we'll have eight men's teams and eight women's teams representing their countries. And again, it's not it's not for the elite, the funded players. This is for, uh, as we keep saying, your good quality uh, I, I don't want to use the word club, but you're good quality mm-hmm. club amateur style players, and that that is the train of thought and uh, other countries around Europe. And I, I wouldn't mention like them just now because we're we're still uh, in discussions with them. However, uh, they are looking to towards holding their own qualifying competitions, the same as the B, the British Players' Curling Championship will be. And and who knows, if it takes off in this uh, podcast work, we, we might get Camden America joining in and we can have a World Players Curling Championship.
2: Do you know, this reminds me a lot, there is an event hosted at the Richmond Curling Club in Vancouver, I'm not sure if you've yeah. ever heard of it, called the Pacific yes. International. Something, it's a similar sounds like a very similar kind of event. Have you heard of yeah. that event? Was that part, part of the idea behind this?
0: I have heard of the event. I wouldn't say it's so much part of the ideas. We're trying to we're not trying to reinvent the wheel as such. We would like to be rather unique and 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 find our own place. However, I certainly heard of the event and and uh, obviously the, the, the player's title in our name uh has, has 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 come from Canada more than anything else because you do have that title in a few of your competitions. Uh, uh, we didn't feel amateur really was the the right the right title for the competition. We felt we were pigeonholing people, so therefore we felt players was a more appropriate word. We can we can build on that uh, firstly in Britain and then around Europe and then wherever else uh, uh, we would would be delighted. One other point I should mention is we're also. We're also looking to ensure that we engage uh, uh, with with players and spectators at ice rinks around Scotland, so we don't just be, be become yet another elitist competition. Uh, uh, therefore, uh, the the, qual- the quarter finalists the eight the eight teams that reach the quarterfinals, will qualify for a British Players Curling Tour. Uh, for for next season and that tour will go around ice rinks in Scotland uh, uh, playing uh, most likely albeit we, we we want to discuss this with the teams that qualify uh, to make sure we're taking on as much opinion uh, as we possibly can but likely on a Friday night um, where we can also involve local teams in local ice rinks to participate against these uh, these these teams that have qualified. And wrap a social event around that as well at a local ice rink. So we're bringing the players in. We've got good competition on the ice, and we're we're hopefully uh, uh, having a bit of fun at the same time uh, around ice rinks around Scotland.
2: So I've got this may I realise these questions can be a bit tricky at times, but one thing I know is that in international competition in WCF. Scotland, England, Wales all play separately. The Scots are normally up in the A pool and and Wales and England are in the B pool, but they all play separately. But when it comes to the Olympics, it's normally, well, it is under Team GB, although the teams are almost exclusively Scottish. So is this event, uh, when it's called the British Players Curling Championship, is it, do English teams also participate in this or would there be separate English qualification event for the European Championship or is that still very much up in the air?
0: No English teams are more English teams, Welsh teams, and Northern Irish teams are more than welcome to compete in this. Um, it it is truly a British, British uh, Players Curling Championship, and therefore I uh, know they're more than more than uh, welcome. And we have had interest from uh, English teams uh, and and others uh, already. Yes.
2: Okay, so um, I think I w- want to kind of zone out a little bit here, because so as we as you said, you're you're really targeting. We, we don't want to, I guess I agree with you. Maybe amateurs can kind of have a bit of a negative connotation, but we're certainly targeting people who aren't funded athletes. I think that's the kind of distinction Correct. there, right? Yeah. So um, we've talked a lot of, on our podcast about um, of, of, what we find is a weird tension going on all over the world. We're wondering if a similar thing is going on in Scotland, which is as curling gets more, popular in the Olympics gets a lot more TV exposure and has bigger and better events. And the, the top teams seem to be playing at a far higher standard. Um, There actually seems to be less and less uh, play at the club level. And in fact, a lot of, in a lot of places, club numbers are down. So do you see a similar dynamic going on in Scotland?
0: Um, To answer your question simply, the answer is yes. Um, The reason for it would be a bit more complicated um uh, firstly it's great to see curling at the olympics and it's great to see teams competing and and uh, um all, do, all doing well um, I envy the the TV coverage you have in you have in Canada. I can remember coming off a plane once, arriving in Ottawa and heading down. I think it's called the Strip or something, and uh, ending up in a bar and here's uh, curling on the main TV, a log fire and two leather suites, and I just thought I've hit heaven. Um, so I, I totally envy your 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 coverage that you get. And indeed, over here we're all trying to subscribe to all the channels to watch it. Unfortunately, we don't get a great deal of of coverage. Indeed, uh, it's it's just predominantly one or two competitions. However, more recently, um, uh, there have been uh, uh, publications on YouTube and and other areas that that, that we can watch. So to answer your question, yes, uh, I also think that Whilst the money and other things are going into in, into teams to allow them to complete at the highest level, which is great, uh, medals attract people into into the sport. I fully recognise that. Through that process, um, uh, it, I, I wouldn't suggest it's it's uh, uh, encouraged more people onto onto club ice, on onto ice shrinks ice. Uh, uh, again, I'll put my own hat on. I won't speak for the country. I'll just speak for for, for We have a tremendous uh, junior section, around 60, 70 kids there every Saturday morning. And our coaches are absolutely terrific. They take them through. And through the series of slams that we now have in Scotland, the under-12s, the under-14s, the under-17s, the under-21s, they ultimately end up competing around the country, which is great. They're picking up experience, Unfortunately, there's a downside because it's the parents that are driving them around to these competitions. And those are the parents who would normally be competing in your own local ice rink competitions that weekend. So if they're away every second weekend doing something, uh, you you struggle then to to get them into your own competitions, which which has become quite an issue. And you find that these people then just stop competing. Numbers wise, uh, Numbers are certainly down. It's quite hard to to quantify uh, quantify numbers exactly. Uh, one of the one of the measures historically has been those that are members of Scottish Curling, and I know those numbers have certainly fallen. However, not all curlers are members of Scottish Curling, and therefore some ice rinks may well be may, may well be growing, uh, while, whilst others are are, are finding pressure. What I can say, if, if if I'm not hogging the microphone, what I can say is um, uh, COVID has brought a, a unique set of problems in that uh, I know our ice bookings are down between 20 and 30 uh, percent, predominantly because we do have an ageing population curling. And COVID has obviously hit the the, 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 the aged population and some just do not want to take the risk to come back onto the ice this year. My biggest fear and the biggest fear of, of ice shrinks, because we've done surveys, is that once they, they've missed a year, they may be lost to the sport forever. So uh, I do think without any doubt, um, everyone is going to have a fresh set of, set of challenges to face.
2: So as a rink owner, what do you think, uh, in addition to this championship you're you're organizing, what other things do you think need to happen to, to reverse some of these trends?
0: In, in my business life, I've been a great believer in thinking out of the box. And just because that's the way it's been done doesn't mean the way it's always got to be done. Try and think, well, what can we do new that can attract people in? Uh, one tiny little idea, and I know you're already doing it in Canada because I'm probably stealing it from you. I, I steal a lot of ideas from Canada. Um, one particular I think is if we're only going to have sweep, one sweeper, well, let's make sure we have a triples competition uh, uh, to, to encourage that because we don't normally play triples. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't, uh, and, and, and try and get that off the ground for our local curlers to get 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 them more involved. Um, Trying to attract new people into the sport is going to be really quite tough, I think, because unfortunately, uh, and again, I I don't know if it's the same across the water, but unfortunately, there can be a bit of a stigma hanging around where people think that COVID uh, can, can, can thrive easier in a cold environment than it does in a normal or a warm environment. Now, to date, we haven't found any scientific proof towards that, but but um, it it certainly comments that get thrown around, and that's something we're going to have to combat uh, and, and encourage. So this coming season, I think I don't think we can really um, I, I don't think we can really make massive strides in trying to grow the sport. I think this coming season is let's look after what we've got, make sure they are safe and and and, and enjoying the game, and try and bring the fun back into it so they're enjoying it. And if we can do that, we can then use those individuals, those teams and everyone else to, to then build again once we, we, we know what the new normal is going to be. Um, but, but I, I, I really, and I, I am an ideas person, but I, I really, uh, I think this year, is, as you have to do in business sometimes, is digging deep, protecting what you've got uh, uh, and then look look forward in future years to start building again.
2: You bought the rink you said in 2008. So what's the biggest change in in curling in Scotland since you've purchased the rink and, and been a rink owner?
0: I would suggest the quality of ice. Um the the, the pressure on ice rinks to to turn out championship ice is uh, is, is has has been uh, quite incredible. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier just this summer we've installed new we've been putting in new filters so to ensure that our, our, our water is as clean as it can be and it's coming out at the right temperatures etc so the science the science of curling that's a good way to put it the science of curling i think has um, has has changed dramatically in that um uh, from when ice first started, or when I first bought the ice rink, the standard of ice then to the standard of ice now that Carlos enjoy is 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 just just dramatically different, dramatically different. Obviously, the equipment that people are using is different, which has its own impact on ice conditions, and we all know the debates that have gone on about that, so we won't go into that but uh, um, we're, we're, they certainly have an in- impact. Uh, and, and then, as I say, the biggest, the biggest, and this is disappointing, the biggest uh, change I've seen is how. We, we have lost the social aspect of it not 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 entirely there are still a good nucleus of curlers who will enjoy the game and enjoy a pint and a drama after it and 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 uh, a, sorry a good blether after it unfortunately that's that's not the that's not the the norm uh, many are now arriving for their game jumping in their cars and going home and that's a shame because um that th- that was one of such an important part of the game and at my ice rink, we do our, excuse my language, but we do our damnedest to make sure we keep the social aspect of it going as much as we possibly can. And I personally think if we can do that, that's when we'll attract people back into the sport. They won't just be coming back for the game. They'll be coming back because it's part of their life. It's part of of, of their structure. And then they, they stick in the game for for, for a lengthy period of time.
2: So that's interesting. So why do you think that is? I know in, in North America, sometimes kind of older club members will say that, that uh, drinking and driving laws uh, kind of discourage people to have a pint after the game. And other people have suggested that it's, um, you know, rise of other distractions or other entertainment options. Do you, th- do you think that's why there's been less of a focus on the social and social aspect of the game in Scotland?
0: It's a terrible confession, but there's no doubt the drink driving did ever, ever have an impact. And uh, that, that, that's probably not socially appropriate to say nowadays, but but that that's a matter of fact. Um, secondly, I also believe just the pace of life nowadays and the pressure of modern day life. You know, everybody wants the best car and the, 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 the best white goods and the best house and everything else. So everyone is just pushing, pushing forward with pace of life to improve their lifestyles. And does that leave enough for life? leisure activities and um, do leisure activities are they a priority now uh, and so, so i wouldn't just blame it on on on, on um, uh, driving to, to, to the ice drink and not managing a drink because in all fairness the vast majority of curlers have soft drinks and coffee after it and the vast majority of ice drinks are quite happy with that the profit margins of those uh those beverages are just as equally good as as, as selling it to a nip so that's not not so much a concern uh, it's more people's time pressures i i believe uh, uh, we've also noticed less of a I know when I started curling, there was a pair session used to go on at Dundee Ice about, I think it was about half past 10 at night or something like that, or 11 o'clock at night, and a pair session occurred. Now trying to get people out even for a session that maybe starts at half past 8 at night uh, can, can prove difficult because they don't want to drive in the, the dark or the the rain or the snow or whatever else. So lifestyles have changed. I think that's probably one of the the best way I can summarise it. Yeah.
2: So... The other thing we're interested in, because we, we've been covering a lot of U.S. curling post-2018 um, when the Schuster rink with winning the gold on the men's side um, led to a big spike in support for curling yeah. in the U.S. and a lot of interest. Was there a similar uh, change in Scotland when Rona, I guess Rona Howie now, but Rona Martin back then, mm-hmm. uh, won the the gold back in 2002? Did, did, did interest in curling go up in Scotland, stay the same? Um, were there any big changes from that?
0: It did go up, without any doubt, and it was it was tremendous for curling. Uh, it, it really was. Um, uh, I, 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 know, I, I know Rona, and, and I also know the commentator on the game, uh, Dude, and I can always remember his story of, of saying that uh, he, he knew he was the way to hit his uh, finest sporting moment. Uh, like they said in football, they think it's all over, it is now. And he prepared and prepared for Rona throwing that final stone and he got so involved in the stone going out and uh, down the ice, all he could shout to, it, shout out was, "By God, she's done it!" Uh, so that didn't actually go down in the the the, the journalistic uh, memoirs, but it, did, it certainly most most certainly uh, uh, brought broad sport to 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 ahead. And I have to also say, Eve's been doing a terrific job as well. Eve reports in a lot of a lot of journals, and and obviously she's done exceptionally well for for, for Scottish curling. As do have many of many of the guys, uh, and I have to say the ranks that Scotland have 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 just now are are, are absolutely tremendous out there, and they will certainly hold their own uh, uh, through 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 the championships. Unfortunately, it, it, it didn't last too long. Uh, it didn't last too long, and and. Uh, s- When we've had Olympics, when the games are getting shown at two in the morning and there might only be one shot shown on the news at night, uh, the winning stone of of, of, uh, um, Dave Murdick or somebody else throwing a stone down the ice to win the game, that's not enough to to encourage people into the game. Uh, and, And we have to work hard on improving our coverage some people say curling comes over boring on TV. If you're standing in the pub and just asking some guys, you know, why do why can't you take to curling? Uh, because of the time we take in the game to talk about stones and talk about our throws and all the rest of it. So I think we have to, again look uh, uh, look out the box, look outside the box, and see how we can we can make it more attractive for for television. People who know and understand curling, it's not a problem at all. We know what's going on. But for somebody new to curling to try and pick up and the speed of the game, I don't think it really, really attracts people in as it should.
2: Yeah. So just to to wrap up, are there any kind of final thoughts you have about what, what changes you think curling needs to make to, to I guess, as you said, I guess this year, not grow the sport, as you said, but at least tread water for this year and then come back stronger after the pandemic ends.
0: We have to look after the grassroots. I think we just have to be so focused on the grassroots. I think... Uh, uh, there's been a, a great deal of development at the elite level, uh, making sure our teams are prepared for the Olympics etc and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all, uh, however I do at times feel the grassroots level has been forgotten about and uh, we, aren't, we aren't doing enough to attract new people into the sport or indeed when we do attract them, retain them, get them into clubs or teams and, and, and get them competing and likewise the BCC as we've already mentioned, once we have those curlers that are without any doubt uh, winning the local club leagues and and winning them year after year we need to we need to get them moving forward into a higher level and simply because they, the 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 don't foresee themselves entering the Scottish or anything else like that we have to give them something that they can uh, they can strive for to to keep that um, competitive ambition going Uh, so therefore it's at both it's it's at both end work at the grassroots and uh, uh, get the middle ground uh, developing again
2: well, thank you very much for joining us today, Mike. I wish you kind of the best of luck with this new championship. I think you're right. It, it absolutely does address a need in the sport. And I also wish you a lot of luck with uh, what's sure to be a challenging season ahead, but hopefully uh, the restart for curling in Scotland goes smoothly.
0: Well no thank you very much for for allowing me to uh, uh say a few comments and can i just say to everyone uh, in in canada have a great season when you do get back on the ice and uh, as i keep saying to everybody we'll we'll win this battle we'll get there and uh, we'll get we'll start enjoying everything again.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you Jonathan. So Jonathan what makes what makes this tournament different, and what are they doing anything to specifically exclude the "quote unquote" professional curler, the fully funded person like led for Scotland teams like Team Mowit, um, who they are their their professional curlers? What what is keeping them from from participating in this event? Uh,
2: I don't think anything. I think they probably will be busy and there's i i don't think there's any points attached so they'd have no interest in kind of competing in that um i know the Kyle Smith rank i'm not sure if they're going to play in it but Kyle Smith's one of the people on the website who's been linked with the uh, the organization of it so some of the so th- this isn't, I guess, just a bunch of duffers sliding out on their knees, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's good compa- – I, I think exactly that. I think one of the questions that came out of the Scottish curling decisions and the Team GB decisions is there's actually a lot of good curlers, curlers that would be kind of known to the you know fans of international curling that have played and represented Scotland in the last five, six years, who simply because of decisions that Team GB's made about the squad – no longer have anywhere to play and they kind of feel like, well, what do I have to compete for? Right. So mm-hmm. we're not even talking about like aspiring curlers who want to kind of get to that next level. Well, certainly they're kind of going to be in the event, but there's basically this tier of curlers who, you know, normally would be able to a qualify for the Scottish national championship, be quite competitive in it and potentially even win if they had a good week that, that tier is also kind of increasingly being squeezed out. So um, I think that tier might participate for sure. I, I suspect the the Team GB ones will just be too busy doing other things to to enter it.
1: Is so it guys? Um, guys like you and McDonald who used to represent Scotland and now they're you know they're no longer a part of Team GB. But I mean, up until a couple of years ago, I saw him entering the Scottish Championships. Is that kind of the 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 tier of team that they're looking to? Bring back into into the fold here.
2: Yeah, I think that that the teams like that, and also I think I think one of the big challenges is uh, is if you're saying coming out of juniors, let's say you didn't win the Scottish national championship, Mm -hmm. but you were say you know top five, top six teams in Scottish juniors when you're 21, what happens to you? You're probably you're not going to be selected by Team GB right away. Uh, Do you just wander off and do other things? Uh, Do you kind of keep playing in things? What what things are there for you to play in? And then what happens to that group of curlers in their 20s, right? That one of the effects of going so hyper-professional and going away from the play-down system is there's nothing for that kind of group of curlers in that age period where making the jump from juniors to full-on adults is pretty tough, right? Even Mm -hmm. someone like Tyler Tardy, three-time world champion, like he, he had a decent... Kind of season on tour last year, right? But um, he certainly wasn't kind of playing in the Briar or making slams every week, right? So, what it, it takes time for a team in that age group to develop to the point where they're able to be competing at the slam level. And if you take away opportunities for those teams to compete, they don't have a chance to develop either.
1: So, Jonathan, basically, what what and what what was interesting about this interview was that they want to take it beyond just britain they want to they want to have a european players championship that was uh that was really interesting to hear
2: yeah european one i think that's that. i think that because there's similar dynamics going on in other countries too right i think there's particularly sweden sweden's you know mm-hmm. it's it's actually got something like 30 ranks i think it's probably yeah. outside of north america probably the largest curling country it's probably between it and switzerland right and its system's fully professionalized now, but there's mm-hmm. still a lot of good curlers that aren't going to get an opportunity to knock off Hasselberg or Adin, but might want to play in something else. And so this, this event could be kind of an opportunity for them.
1: Yeah, you see uh, that at the Swedish championship every year where outside of Adin and Hasselberg, it's a pretty competitive event. But then you have these two teams that are clearly head and shoulders above everybody else.
2: Yeah, and so it, it's what do you do with those teams so they have something to play in and can kind of grow that, that next tier. So I, I hope that there's a European version of this and that maybe Switzerland and Sweden and some of the other curling powers send their teams and then maybe some of the developing countries see this as an event that they can compete in as well.
1: It sounds like what we need is curling's version of the Rucker.
2: That would be awesome. I think you're going to have to explain what the Rucker is.
1: So the Rucker is this summer basketball tournament held at Rucker Park in Harlem. And it was just known for, you know, it's where NBA stars of the past kind of honed their skills. Like Dr. J played there, Earl the Pearl Monroe, uh, Steph Marbury played in it, Kareem played in it. You know, all all these guys from from the area played in this tournament and kind of made their names, um, made their names before they, before they got famous in this tournament. And it's kind of, it's an amateur tournament. Each of the teams is kind of, I believe each of the teams basically sponsored by a company and they enter, enter their team and in, into the tournament. And occasionally yeah. you'll get, occasionally you'll get big names or former NBA guys who, who play in this every year. So, I mean, that'd be kind of cool. You, you, you pick up, uh, pick up, pick up one uh, professional onto your team to to go in and try to win the tournament.
2: Are, are they? Do they cap the number of pros in the ruck or is basically anything goes?
1: I think it's whoever is willing to pay in it, play in it, um, can play. Now, obviously, a lot of NBA guys aren't going to play in it because if you get injured, that's going to cost you a lot of money.
2: Mm, yeah. So, that's true. But KD famously played in it uh, a while ago, I guess. Like, yeah, that, that was I a few years back. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be good. I think, I think. yeah, something like that. I think there's... Um, I think a lot of other sports have a sense of place with a lot of their events. And I think curling doesn't really. Um, like, you know, like in golf you have the Masters, the Augusta National, right? You have like... For a lot of sport, or, or you have the bowl games, right? You have the Rose Bowl in college football, right? Like a lot of places mm-hmm. have events that get tied to the venue or the location. And I don't feel like in curling, uh, you can really point to an event or a location like that right now.
1: The closest you have is the players at Maple Leaf Gardens, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of growing as a tradition. Um, but it's kind of weird because I, I really feel the slams kind of stamp on that by by when they schedule it, and then they have the, when they added the the Humpty Cup afterwards. It almost uh, it almost um, or whatever it's called. What's it called? The Champions,
1: <laughs> the Champions Cup? Cup. The
2: Humpty oh, Cup. The Humpty Cup. Whatever it's called. <laughs> I call it the Humpty Cup. I, the Champions Cup. And then it also feels like the players has been when it first came out late 90s early 2000s it was the kind of capstone for the cash field season and now it just feels like another slam because there's so many slams and they're on all the time right mm-hmm. and then the champions cup in some sense feels a bit more special because you had to win to get into it so um i think that's something the slams have got to look at is fixing that that event a bit but keeping it the keeping it in toronto
1: so, what's the big sure. prize for winning the British players? Um, like, let's, let's assume the European thing doesn't happen year one. You know, hopefully it happens down the line, but let's say this year they can't get the, the European thing, go, the European Players Championship going. But what, what's the big prize for winning the British players?
2: I think that, that's an interesting question. I think if it doesn't go on to another event, and it doesn't have a significant monetary prize attached to it. It's hard to explain why someone would sign up for it. Um, and to be honest, having played in Scotland and kind of the Scottish curling tour a fair bit, uh, those events are struggling. Like they, they struggle to crack 20 teams these days if they're lucky. So... And, and and it's not for lack of good teams like I'll, I'll go play in these spiels and say Aberdeen or Dumfries and they will be like a local team that's good like and not like like good for whatever like you you would drop them in say an OCT event or you know a cash league in Canada and they they'd be they'd be competitive they wouldn't be making fools out of themselves it would be a good team but they you, you sit down talking after the game like they don't see any point in signing up to anything cuz none of it goes anywhere They don't see the point in going out and spilling because the points don't get you anything. Um, So there's a bunch of people out there that are perhaps looking for a reason to curl. And if there's a way to kind of add some meaning and significance to playing, you might get more people back out and participating again.
1: Do you think for Scotland, maybe it's getting some of the... The more well-respected names that are kind of outside of the British program to play in it, and then that will that will legitimize it and maybe make it something.
2: Uh, I think so. I mean, I've got some other. I think I've got some other ideas. I think this partly harks back to Jerry's interview, where one of the things they don't really do in Scotland, for whatever reason, is that a lot of those events don't um, accumulate points. They're, they're, they don't really tie into the world curling uh, team ranking system. And I think there's value for all kinds of teams accumulating points, right you were you were even saying at the start at the start why I should go out and accumulate points and try to points chase, even though points are frozen right now, Ryan <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I mean I think that that's like very low hanging fruit is um, signing those events up for the points thing just simply registering them with curling zone. that to me is like a, a very low hanging piece of fruit um, I think perhaps. Uh, melding the social with the competitive a bit more. I think one of the things that's done a bit better in North America, to be honest, is, especially the U.S., I think the U.S. is best at this, is basically Saturday night the Bond Spiel should just be a big party because most of the teams are getting bounced. Probably two-thirds of the field are out. Um, You know, one-third is going to go on, and they'll probably take it seriously, although not always. But the the club should be having some event going on on Saturday night during the last round of qualification games. where it's kind of a big party to get people out and socializing. And I think in Europe, I think that part of the socializing things a lot less, not, not mm-hmm. kind of done as well. And I think making it not just, you know, if, you, if it's a 2014 tournament, assuming everyone's equal, your odds of winning it are like 4%, right? Um, so, you know, assuming you're pl- kind of playing average, you're going to win one out of 20 times. You're going to win a bond spiel one out of 20 times you enter. So winning a bond spiel not, um, You know, it it matters. It's great. And there's a lot, you know, uh, it's great if you can do it, but you've got to offer something to the teams that are kind of less likely to win to get them to come sign up and get more than their three games worth. And so I think that's the other thing that's got to be built into this. And that's what Mike was mentioning about bringing back the social side of it, like having a dance, a dinner. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but just something to keep people engaged on the Saturday night.
1: And that was the big takeaway for me was to, to hear that from Mike. That was really sad to hear because, you know, getting into the sport here in the U.S., a lot of the, the, the social aspect and a lot of the traditions that I was taught when I first started curling, you know, when you ask, why do you do this? The answer would always be, well, because the Scots do it. So it's, you know, it's, it's sad to hear that the, the social aspect, at least um, at least in what Mike has seen, has kind of started to go away there.
2: Yeah, I think the post-game I, – I still think in Scotland, actually, the post-game drink uh, is still pretty much on. Whenever I play in a spiel there, it happens, I'd say, always or almost always. And that goes from, like, the best of the – like, if I play a team on the program, they'll sit down afterwards and have a chat. So that there's none of this, oh, I'm on Team GB, I'm not having a drink with you, which I, I think in some ways the Team GB players in, in Scotland are a lot more – Approachable than even the kind of elite teams in in Canada, right? So that that's a nice part of it, but I think the event, the thing is, the events often don't have much going on on the Saturday or kind of in between. And part of it's that the the really competitive teams now are basically not supposed to drink at all, Mm -hmm. and um, are they're there to win, and so they're basically once the once their games are done they're out of the rink. they'll, They'll have their drink. They're normally having a tea if you're having a beer, but they're kind of gone and off, so there's not much. There's not much long-term socializing. There's still a the post-game drink. Let's put it that way. I know. Then, I know that
1: Scottish curlers still know how to party because I see our friends from Dakota Curling Club, Team Sealand. They they go to Scotland every year to. Um, I can't remember the name of the the spiel that they go to, but they go there every year. You know, during normal times, and yeah, a good time is had by all. It looks
2: like. Oh, I mean, if if you want to find out, there's there's definitely ways and places to go have a party in Scotland. Like there's no uh, there's no doubt about that. I wouldn't say it's it's not all like tea and shortbread. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, not like you people
1: in Southampton.
2: No, we're very we're very refined in Southampton. We'd never tarnish the Roaring Game with a, a pint. Um, no, I, I, but but the thing is, it's not. Part of it's like where the rinks are located. A lot of the rinks in Hmm. Scotland are out in the country. And so one of the questions I asked Mike was about drink driving Mm -hmm. laws. In Scotland, it's basically down to zero now. Like if you have any alcohol, you're getting a ticket. Uh, And the penalties are pretty severe. Very similar to
1: the the episode that we talked about with uh, Saskatchewan, right?
2: Yeah. But I mean, I think in Canada, it's still 0.8 or something. I think it's 0.4 in Saskatchewan. I think so that's so around to point yeah. four or whatever. So it's it's, but it's still like that's probably one drink, right? Point
1: point, like, point, point, point point oh four point. I think four, 0.4 is eight, like
2: yes. Point four is death. Yeah, 0.04, point oh four. Yeah, point. obviously point eight would not be possible. Um, but point oh eight. So, um, it's. It, I think in Scotland it's basically nil, and so. That that kind of came mm. in a few years ago, and I, and actually the point was made to me several times in Scotland, it's like you've got to be careful that if you drink a lot the night before, you get up in the morning and you get in the car, you might still you might still be over the limit. So it's actually mm. it kind of discourages you from even having a, a night being like going out the night before drinking, but then getting up in the morning, say six seven hours later, and you still might be way over the limit. So uh, that's kind of an issue too.
1: But as we've said before, maybe. Maybe that's something curling needs in order to gr- to grow in in other areas, right?
2: Yeah, I think if there's other ways of building the social aspect in, yeah, I don't think it's everyone's got to get plastered for curling to be a good time. Um, but there's got to be there's like I I I strongly believe that for most people, um, even if they may have the dream of making the Olympics, the Olympics just isn't achievable, and so if. Then it's like, it's, I'm not saying it's Olympics or nothing, but mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people who are kind of competitive, they feel like they've got to have something to to shoot for to justify the money, the spending the time and all that. And I don't think it has to be much, but it has to be some kind of stakes, right? They've got to feel like they're playing in not just a bond spiel, but a championship. Cool. Or if they're playing in a bond spiel, there's something that they can win that's cool, be it a prize or be it cash or something, right? And they want to have a chance to have fun in some way, shape, or form outside of just playing the games.
1: Yep. And uh, so we will we will keep an eye on this tournament. If it uh, if it looks like it's going to go and go ahead, which it sounds like it is, we'll 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 try to preview it. Um, maybe not in the same two hour way that we previewed arena nationals, but uh, here in the U.S. But uh, we'll definitely give it uh, give it the attention it deserves. Jonathan, thanks for. Thanks for talking to Mike, and thank you to Mike Ferguson for taking the time to talk to us and uh, inform us about uh, the current state of, of curling in Scotland as they return to play and uh, get, a, get a new uh, new exciting tournament up, uh, up and running. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.